When John heard he's in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way for you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and the forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her actions. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they didn't repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. 
No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Our gracious Father, we just ask that you would help us as we turn to your word. Give us understanding. There's a lot to get through, so we pray that we'd be able to do that and I'd be able to do that clearly. And that would be you'd bring to us what you would have us learn and keep me from error, we pray. Honouring our Lord Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Are you the one? Are you the one? We're reminded and we reintroduced John to us and John hasn't been seen for quite a while as we're going through Matthew chapter 4 verse 12 was the last time we saw him and we're reminded of what happened to John the Baptist in verse 2. He's in prison. Why did he go there? Herod Antipas, which was the son of Herod the Great. Uh, Herod had three sons and when Herod the Great died, Herod the Great is the one at the start of Matthew who's trying to kill the baby Jesus, you know that story. That's Herod the Great. don't know why it's called Great, but anyway. He's the great, and he died and divided his kingdom between his sons, three of them. The bit that Jesus lived in, the bit that John was imprisoned in, is around Galilee, and his name was Herod Antipas, not Antipaster. Remember, do you know what Antipaster is? Anyone know what? I can never work out what Antipaster is. I thought I was pro-pastor, but anyway, that's another story. John is imprisoned by that Herod, and we hear him now. And he can't ask this question, so he sends some of his disciples, and they ask the question, are you the one? They mean, are you Jesus? Are you the one who we've been waiting for, the one we've been expected, the one who would come and restore the kingdom to us? Are you the Messiah? That's basically what he's asking you. Or, verse 3, shall we look for someone else? That causes us to reflect on John. He's been a big character and he's asking a question. And we've been reading all along about what Jesus has been doing and John asks a question so we start to think about what we've seen, what we've read, what we've heard. Jesus answers the question in the last bit of 4 in chapter in verse 5. Tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have good news preached to them. It's interesting. Jesus is asked a direct question and he doesn't give a direct answer. If you're one of those people who likes to follow 
a lot of drop kicks and rubbish people who say all sorts of things about Jesus, they'll point to a passage like this where Jesus is asked, are you the one? And Jesus doesn't give a direct answer. Their conclusion will be Jesus never said he was God. Jesus never said he was the Christ. They will make those conclusions. They'll use a passage like this to show you, to try to prove to you. Jesus' reply is in continuance with how he along the way has said, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. So here he doesn't reply directly. But his answer points to what we've been seeing. It forces us, it forces John, it forces his John's disciples to conclude all these things that have been happening around the place these are what we expected to see. We too have seen the works that Jesus has been doing as we've been reading along, and this fits in with what Paul said of his own people in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. He said, they demand signs. And that's the same here. So Jesus gives them the signs that he's been doing. Matthew has made sure that we've heard about them, these mighty works. And so we conclude, I assume, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one that God has expected. Matthew has been telling us that. Jesus points to that. And the answer that we get as they're given the that question is, yes, he is, of course. The people of Israel are being encountered by the one they were waiting for, Jesus. And Jesus' quotes of the blind receive, the hear, uh, sorry, the, you hear, sorry, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are preached the good news. Is a combination of lots of readings from Isaiah. It's a compilation, Isaiah 35, verses 5 to 6, Isaiah 26, 19, Isaiah 61, verse 1. His nondescript answer continues that idea, as I said, that he's keeping it under wraps, but the evidence is there for all to see. His answer does not does imply, though, he says in verse 6, that some will stumble because of him. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. And so John, like us, as we read, must decide. Decide for ourselves. And I assume that you've decided yes, like me, but maybe you haven't. Jesus then asks the crowd about John, and that's our second point. He says he is Elijah from verses 7 to 19. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. Jesus' question to the crowd is not easy for us to get. It's probably a dig 
at Herod Antipas, that guy we just talked about. Let me explain. On coins, have you got a coin at home? Does anyone have coins anymore? I don't know, really have coins anymore, do we? If you turn over a coin, they've got things on them. But well, we have, we've dug up Roman coins, which have got an Herod Antipas issued. And on them is his symbol. What is his symbol? Reeds, which ties into what Jesus said. Is he a reed shaken by the wind? Is that what you went out to see? And who wears soft clothing? Now, uh, just do this for me, will you? Just do this with your clothes. How soft is that? Is it soft, do you think? We've all wore clothes that are pretty okay, aren't we, to church? We haven't worn. Do you have a set of clothes that you wear in the garden or for work? What are they like? How do they feel? They feel a bit rough, tough. And that's why, because people who work don't have soft clothing. They belong on kings in palaces. That's so ahead. He's saying, what did you go out to see? Some sort of king? No. You went out to see a prophet, verse 9. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, but more than a prophet. This is he whom it is written. Behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Jesus agrees with the notion that John is a prophet, but he's not just any prophet. There hadn't been a prophet for 400 years. Have you got your Bible open? Have you got Bible Matthew open? If you turn it back to the name, first name, the last that you come to in the Old Testament, the last name in the Old Testament, that's the last prophet, Malachi. And he's around 400 B.C. That means before Jesus was born. Today we, they say before common era, but that's all that rubbish. 400 years, G Jesus says he is here. He is a prophet. John is the last of the prophets. He is the last of the prophets, but he is also the introduction to the new. Have you ever heard of Martin Luther? Has anyone heard of Martin Luther? Anyone? Do you know what he did? We sort of know what he did. Martin Luther came, one thing he did, which is not known maybe, is that Martin Luther is often pictured as the last medieval man. It's not true, of course. But anyway, these things are simplified. He's the last medieval man and the first modern man. You know why? He's a thoroughly medieval man in one sense. That's how he was educated. That's how he's brought up. That's how he's lived. It's 1520 or so. Around that time, he's a medieval man. But he's also the first modern man because he said, let's not just accept what those dipsticks say. Let's go back to the, the resource. Did I, use, I used that word, didn't I? Let's not just accept what's told to us. Let's find out for ourselves. And that is the idea where we don't have to do, but we are now individual and we look and find out for ourselves. When the Bible is looked and read to understand it, 
We now must find out for ourselves. Out of that will come the idea of you are an individual. People don't know that. They think we've always been like that. We haven't. And in fact, in many parts of the world, which aren't the West, people don't act that way. They don't see themselves as Keith. They see us as Woodford. They see us as the whole collective, not me. And in the West, Martin Luther is one of the first person who steps up and says, I am me. Let me read the Bible. Martin Luther, the end of medieval and the start of modern humankind. John is the last of the prophets, but he is also the first one that introduces the new age. Truly I say to you, he says, Jesus says, among those of women, there has been no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the to him. Yet no one in the kingdom of heaven, the least in the kingdom of heaven, is greater than he. What does he mean? John doesn't seem to know who Jesus is. He hasn't decided he is the Messiah. The kingdom of heaven is for people who have accepted that Jesus is who he says he is. John is outside of that. And so the least, and it's a saying really, in the kingdom of heaven is greater than those who, even though they are great outside, they are the under the least. That's all he means. For all the pro prophets and the laws prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Malachi 4.5 said, Before that great day when the coming would come of the day where God would bring about his world that would be judged and his new kingdom, there would be someone who came and he was called Elijah. We don't know why he was called Elijah. He certainly acted in the power and the spirit of that Old Testament prophet. Nevertheless, that's who Jesus says John is. He is the one who was expected 400 years ago. They said that person would come. John has come. The end of that age and the voice that starts the new age. John is that person. Can they accept it? That is the question. John is more than a prophet because he overlaps these two eras. But violence is all around, and that violence is in reaction, as we've seen, to who Jesus is and to what he says. People don't like it. They don't want it. In fact, its proclamation will bring about that violence, this proclamation of the kingdom of heaven has come in the person of Jesus. Jesus says of the crowds, what shall we compare this generation? 
It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Uh, I remember, have you ever, anyone have children? Does anyone have grandchildren? Have you ever seen your child get really upset because they wanted to do something? They were trying and so hard they'd organised and they wanted everything to be like this and they put it all in place and then they wouldn't do what I wanted it to do. And they sit there and they go, why are they not doing it? What are they doing? My own son, I remember going up to Matthew, what's wrong with you? I had no idea what he was saying. He wanted it to happen. He'd been organising it and lining it all up and it didn't happen. And he wasn't happy. And that's what Jesus says the rulers are like. He says, he used this little parable, we played the flute and you would not dance. John, we want you to be like this, but you weren't. We sing a dirge and you would not mourn. Jesus, we want you to be like this, but you're not. And that's explained in verses 18 to 19. John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and these people, the ones who think they're in charge, they say, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, sinners. Yet wisdom, Jesus said, is justified by her deeds. Their reaction is weird, really, I think. When God is amongst them doing something, it doesn't matter what is happening. John is a person who lives very plainly, hardly eats, eats locusts, wears very... Well, they think, oh, he's a weirdo. Jesus comes along and just eats normally and drinks what, you know, everyone else is drinking, and they call him a glutton. More than that, he hangs out with all these unclean, awful people. Have you seen them? My goodness, they're shabby. Not only that, they've become his followers. Whatever the Lord does, they're not happy. It's not going their own way. They find fault. And they find fault with Jesus. Jesus says, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Means the works of what God has been doing amongst you is there for all to see and it's wisdom of what God has done is obvious. Whether you think it's wise or not. Jesus' works point to who he is. He is wisdom incarnate. He is God's wisdom come to live with them. Jesus says, woe to them, woe to all these cities, chapter 11, verses 20 to 24. Their refusal to repent is a really problem because even some of the famous, notorious, horrible places would have done better than them. Something far greater than anything that has ever happened is here and happening now. A unique opportunity. God amongst them. 
and they haven't responded. What did they, the Messiah is here and what did they do with him? Verse 21, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre, in Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon were wiped out by uh, uh, firstly uh, Nebuchadnezzar and then Alexander the Great. Have you heard of those guys? They're gone, Tyre and Sidon. They're sort of not much left. They are big, not much. Ah, uh, Sidon was destroyed by Artaxerxes. Do you, like, do you know who Artaxerxes is? It's a great name, Artaxerxes. I've always wondered, why don't I meet more children named Artaxerxes? He was a Persian ruler, a king, and he came along and smashed them. Jesus says, if those things were done, if the things I'm doing were done with them, they would have be okay, they'd be here. And to top it all off, he adds in verse 23b, the mighty works done in Sodom, if they'd been done there, that we'd still have Sodom. Now, Sodom is pretty famous, even for people who know nothing about the Bible. Sodom and Gomorrah is a famous episode. The Messiah is here doing the list that Jesus has told us about and why, how have people responded? They haven't. Seeing is not necessarily believing. And so Jesus, in after all that, calls people to himself and asks for them in verses 25 to 29 to come find their rest in him. He gives the reason for their failure of the wise to respond because it's been hidden from them. Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, in verse 25, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. You do know and you do understand that some of the greatest theologians in the 20th and the 21st century know less than a three-year-old when it comes to Jesus. You do know that, don't you? Some three-year-olds can give me the testimony, Jesus is Lord. And some of the greatest minds have not a clue. Not a clue. How do you know? Jesus says you know because human, when you know because God reveals it to you. Human wisdom is the never-ending books of written and things, it's not enough. Jesus says what is needed is wisdom from above. We've said there's this a tone in Matthew that's apocalyptic and what we mean is, what the word really means, is to reveal, to be revealed. How does the world work? This is, fits in with that theme. How do we know? Jesus says God must reveal it. These things come because God reveals who Jesus is to people. He must do that in order for them to understand because some of the greatest minds 
don't get it. Verse 27 and 28. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The Father is known by the Son. The Son knows the Father. And when he talks this way, have you noticed how he's just claimed to be God? despite what those great people will tell you. Jesus says, once the Son reveals it to you, you will know. It's the promise that when you come to Jesus, he will tell you all about what his Father in heaven has in store. And so that great call the famous one is the last three verses there, 28 to 30. Come, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden, says Jesus, is light. The answer to John's question is not in doubt. Jesus is that one who was to come and is now here. The burden of heavy laden laws and rituals which has kept people away, Jesus, will remove from them. And the burden he gives them if they come to him is light. His yoke is easy, unlike what they've been struggling under. Jesus says, come, and they will find rest. Do you remember the, the six days of creation at the Genesis? Do you remember that? The six, six, don't say the seven. There's six, and then you get to the seventh day. What happens on the seventh day? Rest. God made every all his creation, all his creatures, to rest in his love and care. That rest is the rest that Jesus promises to give you. As God and creator, if you come to him, he will take care of you. He will look after you. There is no burden. His yoke is not heavy on you and directs you. It's light and it's easy because he did the lifting for you. This rest is the same rest that's spoken of as Isaiah 11, Isaiah chapter 65 and 66. This is the rest experienced in the kingdom of heaven. For this Jesus came to take us from darkness sin, death, disease, into his eternal love and care and provision forever. In him, the end has started, and in him, this new beginning will be consummated. Jesus is here. We close with the thought that 
one who was expected has come and he's brought the kingdom and his invitation against what the world says and how it acts and what it thinks is wise is to come to him. That God will reveal who he is to you and he will reveal what God has in store for you. And what God has in store for you will blow your mind, will embrace your soul and give you rest. Let's pray. Gracious Father and God, we, uh, we praise you and thank you that we know you. We realise we know you because of your love for us. We know you because you sent Jesus. Your word has been preserved for us that we might know these things. We thank you that your spirit in the world teaches even the little children to be wise. We pray that we would be wise. We pray that we would understand. We realise that you care. We realise and understand that you love. We pray that we might know your love. We rest in you, your eternal loving provision of life, your eternal loving provision of hope and joy, all those things are found in you. Our world says it's very wise and it has all sorts of ways to offer. We pray that we might hear the call of Jesus. Come, come to him and do not labour any longer, but rest in your eternal love and care found in our Saviour, our Redeemer, and friend, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.